Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and if you've been catching up with the video lately, this is the first time you guys have seen my face in about a month. There's been some technical issues with the green screen, but we are back up and running. <clears throat> we are continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we will actually be finishing chapter 2 this Sunday, and so I'm excited about that. There's some really good stuff packed into this chapter. And I'm excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let us read Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 through 26, out of the English Standard Version. And it reads, I hated all my toil, to which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all, for which I toiled, and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. We've talked about that word vanity in the, in the Hebrew, hevel, means vapor. This is also vapor. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. But because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of, earth, of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from whom, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to, the, to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving or shepherding of the wind. So as Solomon guides us through his analysis of life under the sun, here he focuses his attention to work, to um, toil, as he calls it. And he's in despair of this world of vapor. Um, this book comes after Proverbs, which is also written by Solomon. And Solomon writes a lot of um, basic wise sayings in Proverbs. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding. We have things about 
um, being honest and godly and reaping a reward. But then we get to Ecclesiastes. And if we just went off of what he says in Proverbs, it sounds like if you do the right thing, good things happen. But here it seems that he's saying, eh, life's not always fair. And so Proverbs is kind of like this sharp young teacher full of wise advice. And then Solomon is like this, and Ecclesiastes is like this sharp, aged critic. This philosopher smoking a pipe saying, eh, you, you don't know. And this is the Solomon that we get glimpses of in Ecclesiastes. And we have to take the two together to see the whole picture. And so Solomon, when we come into Ecclesiastes 2, he is in despair. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. The word toil in Hebrew literally means suffering. I suffered under the sun. And seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all, for which I suffered and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. He hated it. He hated this, this vaporous life. And this is like the posture of a toddler that's been told no. Because the world does not cater to Solomon. And because it doesn't, he says, it's meaningless. Because Solomon is temporary, he says, life is meaningless. Because his own glory is not the centerpiece, Solomon says, life is meaningless. This is the posture of Solomon in this verse. He has been given to selfish despair. Ecclesiastes 2.20 completes that thought and says, So I turned about and gave my heart. We talked a couple weeks ago about the heart being represented as the center of your being. So I gave all that I was up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and with knowledge and with skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. And this also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So we have this, this mindset that I work hard. I do this. I acquire wisdom. I fill in the blank. And I have a good life. But at the end of the day, I will die. And that good life will be passed on to someone else. I will not reap the full benefits of what I've earned. Quote, unquote. An existential crisis, in a sense. Solomon is upset that he's not God, that he is not eternal, that he is not permanent, that he's not the center of the universe. And he's allowed that to bring him to despair. To, which in, that, in the Hebrew, despair, that's a strong word. That's not a word we hear often. And when we do, it's not exactly a, a word you throw around much unless you're talking about a deep, deep emotion. Edgar Allan Poe, American poet, much of his writing was from a place of despair. He knew, he experienced death at a very early age. He had a very difficult life. 
and much of his poetry is penned from despair. From desperatio. Desperation. And there's there's some good stuff in his, his poetry. And then there's some real wackadoo um, material with him trying to flesh out the problem of evil. In a world of capitalism, why is the world unfair? Why are we still unhappy? And in his uh, book, The Cure of Melancholy, the old Puritan term for depression, Richard Baxter puts it this way, excessive sorrow interferes with hope even more than with faith. And this happens when those who consider themselves believers perceive God's word to be true and applicable to everyone but themselves. And that seems to be where Solomon is coming from here. That God, what God has said is true for others, but not to him. That there's no joy to be had. There's no peace. Why? Because he's, I guess, smarter than everyone else. In short, Solomon is in despair because he's not God. He's dependent on God for the things he's looking for elsewhere. He will never be God. And so let us consider who God is for a moment. Longer than a moment. Um, if you want to turn with me to a passage, turn to the book of Nahum. Nahum is one of the minor prophets, which means it's a very short book. But Nahum is a book proclaiming judgment on Nineveh. That this is the aftermath of Jonah. This is a generation or so after Jonah when Nineveh has turned back to their wicked ways and God is pouring out his wrath upon them. And the first seven verses of Nahum read this way. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Alkoshite. God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his enemies and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein, who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? And his fire, his fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. So, so far we've got this pretty scathing rebuke of, of Nineveh, describing God as a God of wrath. But then verse 7 kind of changes the tone and says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. See, we have two parts to the character of God, and often with evangelism, we, without meaning to, we try to divide that. Either We tend to focus either on the love of God or the wrath of God. But his justice and his goodness are one and the same. They're two sides of this. They're two sides of the same coin. God is just because He is good, and because He is good, He is just. And this is the whole God of Scripture. 
this is the god of Ecclesiastes. This is the god of Proverbs. This is the god of Scripture. One who is has fury like a fire, but he is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And Solomon had, it appears, focused on the one and not the other. And as a result of his, his incomplete view of God, it brought him to despair. Not knowing the true biblical God brought him to despair. Psalm 88 paints a picture of it and says, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Oftentimes that is where we go. Psalm 88 closes with, My companions have become darkness. And oftentimes, that is where we are. That is where we live sometimes. And like Solomon, our pursuits for pleasure, enjoyment, wisdom, success, etc. only lead us to despair. Because we're not looking for those things in the right place. Or in the right way. Or for the right reasons. But the story doesn't end here. It doesn't end with despair and meaninglessness and hevel. There is a bright side in Christ. As Charles Spurgeon once put it, if the candle has been burned all away, the sun in the heavens is still a light. We don't serve a God who is in the dark. We don't serve a God of darkness, but a God who is light. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. Lately, I've been reading out of a Jewish translation that highlights a lot of the Jewish qualities of the scriptures, and I would like to read a portion of that. On verse 5 through 10 of First John chapter 1, and it says, And this is the message which we have heard from him, and proclaim to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him, none. If we claim to have fellowship with him while we are walking in the darkness, we are lying and not living out the truth. But if we are walking in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of his son Yeshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus, or Joshua, purifies us from all sin. If we claim not to have sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we acknowledge our sins, then, since he is trustworthy and just, he will forgive them and purify us from all wrongdoing. If we claim we have not been sinning, we are making him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And one of the anchor verses of this text is verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him. None. And to put that as literally as possible, I looked at it in Greek. And that will be on the screen here, um, word by word. God light is... And darkness in him not is at all or in any way. In short, God is light. And darkness is not at all in him. God is not merely described as light. But this word, esteen, means being the way that he is. He 
is light. We're not talking he's like light. This isn't a poetic description. This is ontological. God is not merely compared to light. He is light. The New Testament characterizes the God of the universe as a God of light and not of darkness. Despair has a remedy, and it is the God who is light, who is not darkness. John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. John 12, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who has sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So the God who is light sent the Son as light to illuminate who he is. Father, Son, and Spirit was made present, was made plain to people. God had not revealed himself as triune directly to the Jews, but when he did, it was a glorious mystery of the gospel, that he is three in one and one in three, that I and the Father are one, and if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But in the same token, he also said that the Father sent me. But back to Ecclesiastes. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? That's a change of pace for Solomon. We were just, back up a couple of verses, we were whining about how bad the world is. And then, wait a minute, this, this is different. What happened? Here, we find the answer to Solomon's questions, that he's been asking questions over the last couple um, passages. Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 has been largely, what does a man gain for all of his toil, at which he toils under the sun? And the issue of pleasure is not remedied by avoiding it, but by acknowledging from whence it comes. 1 Timothy chapter 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Colossians 1, he being Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I would add that apart from him, 
nothing holds together. So then, Solomon makes the case here that pleasure finds its proper place under the realization that all things come from God. We all live in the palm of God's gracious providence, both sinner and saint, both unregenerate and regenerate. Benjamin Shaw, in his book on Ecclesiastes, puts it this way, How can a man recognize the hand of God's judgment on a fallen race, as shown in the vanity of all aspects of a man's life, and still eat, drink, and be merry? In verse 113, Solomon said that it is an evil business God has appointed to the sons of man to be preoccupied with. That is the first mention of God in Ecclesiastes. This is the last of Solomon's main themes, God. All things are in God's hands and are ordered by him. God is inescapable. The vanity of life is the judgment of God on a rebellious race. But here, in this second mention of God, Solomon makes it clear that the hand of God is a work for blessing as well as judgment. Jeremiah 17 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath, or the shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, and neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Deuteronomy 11 Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I commanded you this day to go to other gods which you have not known. When Moses says that in Deuteronomy 11, they're standing between two mountains, literally the mountains of blessing and cursing. And both are the product of God. God is a God of blessing and a God of cursing, that there is judgment and there is grace. And both of them come together to give us a full picture of God as he has revealed himself to us. And what Solomon's ultimately illustrating here is that the vanity of life is a parable. Life under the sun is meaningless and pointless, except that we abide in God. Psalm, Psalm chapter 1 opens up this way. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that beareth fruit in its season, and its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
This is how Psalms opens. And Hebrew scholars, rabbis, have noted 10 different ways in this passage that we worship. And this is how the book of hymns that God has given us opens with delighting in God as revealed in his, his law, in his instruction. Let us delight in God. Let us take joy in the verities of God, which are the most real things in this world. Let us, as Jeremiah said, trusteth in the Lord and let our hope be the Lord. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And every time we see this word blessing, this is, sim this is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor. So we're not just talking about finances. We're not talking about material blessing. We're talking about a state of enjoyment in the gifts of God. There is not, the word that we translate as blessing from Hebrew does not fit very well in the English language. But the best way we can possibly render it is blessing, is a state of blessing, of living under God's favor, of living in a place of enjoyment in God, of delighting in God. Not because he gives us good things, but because he gave us the one good thing, which is Christ. And because of that, every aspect of my life is now under new management. Because everything is under the headship of Christ. It was before, but now I have recognition of that in Christ. And so the enjoyment of, of our lives, as it were intended, ultimately leads us back to the God who created us. We can have joy because we're made in the image of God and God is a joyful God. Us taking joy in things ultimately can be a form of worship because we are, do, we are reflecting the nature and character of God. God made us for his pleasure, for his glory. And for us to delight in that which he has made brings us back to the creator. Our joy is in God. And we, we take that into every aspect of our lives moving forwards. And I want to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Ponder this verse. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. 
Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His Holy Transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.